Hi, friends, and welcome to Christ Church Online. We are joined for this message by the Reverend Ed Glover, our good friend from the Urban Impact Foundation. Pastor Ed will continue our series on the Apostles' Creed, which is part of a larger series called The Inner Workings of Worship. You can find the rest of our series on the Apostles' Creed at ccgf.org slash sermons or on the Christ Church app. You can also follow Christ Church on Facebook or on Instagram and Twitter with the handle ccgf01. Here is Pastor Ed Glover with the message, I Believe in the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. You know, we're going to continue in our series, and uh, each week we've been reading the Apostles' Creed. We've been making the statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And our passage is found in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21, which has been read very well for us this morning. And as you're turning there, again, it's, it's John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. During the Great Depression, there was a sheep ranch owner whose name was Mr. Yates. And Mr. Yates was a poor man. He could hardly pay the mortgage on his ranch. And like many men back in the days of the Depression, he had to take money from the government in order to provide food and clothing for his family. And many nights he would sit up very anxiously thinking about the future and how he was going to pay his bills. Well, one day a crew from an oil company came onto his property and asked Mr. Yates if they could test for oil. He agreed, and they began to drill. And as they got down about 1,150 feet into the ground, they struck oil. And that well produced 80,000 barrels of oil every day. But that was just one. As they tested and drilled, they found a number of of reserves of oil on his property. And after taking oil from his property for over 30 years, the government went back and just tested one of those wells. And after 30 years of taking oil from it, it still had the capacity to produce 125,000 barrels of oil every day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. But he was living in poverty. Why? Because he didn't know what he had. And he didn't know how to access it. So even though he was a multi-millionaire, he lived in poverty. There are a number of Christians today, if you will, are living in spiritual poverty. They're living very frustrated, empty, discouraged, defeated lives. And all the time they have all that they need. They have the riches of Christ, if you will, dwelling within them. They have all that they need to live a victorious life that Jesus Christ promised, the abundant, victorious Christian life. But they don't know what they have, therefore they don't know how to access. And who do we have? What are the riches of Christ that dwell within us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. And this morning, my task is to help you understand who the Holy Spirit is so that you can access him, so that you can live a victorious life rather than a defeated one. With that being said, let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And thank you that you 
are here, that you are with us. You dwell within us, Spirit of God. And I would ask that you'd forgive me and cleanse me from any sin, Lord Jesus. And that you'd fill me, Holy Spirit, that you, Jesus, would speak to us. And we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. For, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In order to really understand what Jesus is saying, what he is saying, and why he is saying it to his disciples in our passage, we've got to look back in the background leading up to our passage to understand. So let's do that together. Looking back, Jesus Christ is having his last meal with his disciples. And he's trying to prepare them for his death. And they're in the middle of a conversation, and we pick up the conversation in John chapter 14, verse 1. And this is what Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house have many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I want to stop right there and just help us try to imagine. I'm going to help us all try to imagine what the disciples were thinking and what they were feeling when Jesus told them that he was leaving. Now, you have to understand that they, they couldn't even imagine living life without Jesus. I mean, for three and a half years, 24-7, they've been looking and depending upon Jesus for everything. And now he's telling them that he's going to leave? They're not listening to it like you are right now, just very calm and looking up at me. I mean, they were in a crisis mode. They were struggling, fear, taking over. And Thomas finally speaks. And let me try to paraphrase what I think Thomas was really trying to say to Jesus. What he was trying to say was, Jesus, are you kidding? We put all our eggs in your basket. I mean, I know you're going to go to prepare a place for us in heaven, but you're going to leave us here on the earth, and we're having a very difficult time making it now with you being here. How in the world are we going to make it when you leave us? And Jesus responds. He says in John, in our passage, in John chapter 14, verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And then in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to give you another. And then I'm going to come back for you. Now, to really understand the impact of this statement, I've got to unpack one word. In verse 16, it says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another. What that literally means in the Greek is this. It means another of the same kind. Can you say that? Another of the same kind. What Jesus was saying, I'm not going to give you a cheap substitute. I'm going to give you someone just like myself. The same kind. And what he was talking about was the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. In verse 17 he goes on and says, The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus is saying, my replacement is just like me. 
And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he is not going to be like me. In other words, I could only minister to you. I was only with you. But when he comes, as the Father sends him in my name, he will come and he will not only be with you, but he'll live in you. Now, this promise that Jesus is giving to them, they have not yet experienced the Holy Spirit living within them. So, but we know the end of the story, don't we? We know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. He was raised again from the dead and he lives. He overcame sin and death. But as he walked out of the grave, he met up with the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And he reminds them, of what he's saying to them right here and now, over in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. This is what it says. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak of. What's he talking about? He's talking about our passage right now. But after he walked out of the grave, he meets up, he says that to them, and then we know over in Acts chapter 2 that the promise was fulfilled. They were being obedient, waiting up in, in a room in Jerusalem. And what happens? The Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon them. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and filled them. He came and dwelt within them. You know, today, each and every believer, anybody who asks Jesus Christ to be their Savior and Lord, the moment you are saved, the Holy Spirit, just like in the book of Acts, comes and dwells within you, comes and takes up residence within your life. That's why the Bible says we are born again of the Spirit. And the Spirit takes up residence in you and me. That's why it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm not sending you something, I'm sending you somebody. And this someone, this someone is just like me, and he's not just going to come and minister with you or to you, he's going to come and live within you. Now, who is this that's living within us? Who is the Holy Spirit? Because that's very important. Well, today, a lot of Christians see the Holy Spirit like a force, like the movie Star Wars, right? The force be with you. And, and when they take this on, the, the movies themselves have had a lot of influence. Now, they, they're very creative movies. They're very exciting movies. But let me help you understand. For 39 years, they've been teaching Zen Buddhism. And it's really influenced even how Christians see the Holy Spirit. They see him as a force. Now, there's other Christians that see the Holy Spirit like Casper, the friendly ghost, that just kind of flies around and ministers to people. But the majority of Christians are under the impression that the Holy Spirit is some impersonal force. Why do I say that? In 2003, World Magazine reported that 52% of people who identify themselves as born-again Christians thought God's Spirit was an it, an impersonal force. But let me assure you, the Holy Spirit is neither a force, nor a ghost, nor an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. Now that's very important for you to understand because many Christians who think of the Holy Spirit as a force or a power look to a force or power. And they end up missing a person. 
And they wonder why they're living in a defeated life because they're looking for some type of power when really the Holy Spirit is a person dwelling within you. And just like any person, you've got to build a relationship with them. But instead of looking for the person, looking for some kind of experience, some kind of power, some kind of power surge to live the Christian life. And they wonder why they're so empty all the time. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. So how do we know that he is a person? Well, Jesus, in verse 17, makes it very, very clear as he uses five personal pronouns to talk about the Holy Spirit, describing him. Look what he says five different times. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus clearly is teaching here that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. Second, the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit bears all the attributes of a person. Now, the, the Holy Spirit is a person, but the Bible teaches that, but also the world tells us what a person's like, and they've come up with this concept. They've come up with a person being a, a one who is made up of intellect, emotion, and will. The scriptures tell us this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, says, For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The spirit of God knows, therefore he has intellect. In Romans 15, 30, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the spirit. The spirit of God loves, so he has emotion. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says, but, but one in the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit, because he thinks, he feels, and he has will, has all the building blocks of a personality. He's a person. But he's not just a person. He's a divine person. Say that with me. He is a divine person. He is the third person of the Trinity. You've heard that, that concept, most of you. If you've been in church, you hear this word Trinity. Well, the word Trinity is not found in the scriptures. But the concept of the Trinity is taught in the scriptures. But the word Trinity is a, is a word that the theologians came up with, if you will, to try to describe the concept of Trinity found in the scriptures. And what it basically is saying is this. One God manifest in three persons. Say that with me. One God manifest in three persons. Now that's a very difficult concept and it's taught within scriptures. And I got a lot of scriptures, but because of time, I'm just going to give you one. Here it is. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus commands us to what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son. Who is that? God. God manifested in what? Three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is a very difficult concept to understand. It really is. Because you're talking about something that is supernatural. You're talking about something that's beyond the natural. So let me take something like Jesus did, who is he trying to describe to us what's happening in the spirit world and bring it down physically to try to help us understand how that works. Many of you have heard this illustration talking about water. Water can be what? Liquid, solid, and what? Vapor. 
all three distinct manifestations, but all water, right? How about a man? A man can be a father, he can be a husband, and he can be a son, but still one man. I know that this is concept, and those, those illustrations are not perfect, but hopefully it helps you get your mind around the concept, a very big concept of God being manifest in three persons. Well, so far, Jesus has taught us this. He's taught us that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a divine person. The Holy Spirit, the moment you were saved, came and took up residence in your life, lives within you. Then he goes on and he says this in our passage. Jesus says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, another advocate to help you. And some of you, uh, as you're looking at that, you'll look at this word advocate, and, and, and it was read for you, comforter. That word can also be translated enabler. So what Jesus is saying is this, I am going to give you an enabler, and he is there to help you do what? What's he, what's he there to help us to do? He's there to help us to live the Christian life. The Christian life is impossible to live. You cannot do it in the natural. The only way that you're going to live out the life of Christ in your life is by depending upon the supernatural, the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who dwells within you. That's the only way that you're going to live out the power to live out the Christian life. The Holy Spirit's been given to you to enable you to live the Christian life. To live that victorious, abundant life that Jesus Christ promised. But how do you do that? How do you allow the Holy Spirit to take over in your life so you can live in his power? To be like Jesus. To fulfill his mission. Well, to be honest with you, I don't have enough time to tell you how to do that. Really, that's a three to six part series helping you and me understand how to truly walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you four books. I'm going to ask you to to buy one of them. And if you are tired of living an exhausted, defeated, and sometimes boring Christian life, then I am telling you to pick up one of these books and read it and take the time to understand how you can access the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's the four books. The Spirit-Filled Life by Charles Stanley. The Spirit-Filled Life by Charles Stanley. Pick that book up. Or The Promise by Tony Evans. The Promise by Tony Evans. Third, Flying Closer to the Flame by Chuck Swindoll. Flying Closer to the Flame by Chuck Swindoll. Or God in You by David Jeremiah. God in You by David Jeremiah. But let me give you at least one principle as we leave today that if you apply this principle, I will tell you this you will be able to access the Holy Spirit in your life. If you've ever had anybody come up to you and say, the reason why you're not experiencing the presence and the power of Jesus is because you need more of the Holy Spirit. Don't raise your hands, but I'm sure many of you have had someone say that to you one time or another. See, what you really need is more of the Holy Spirit. But we've learned today that the moment you were saved, not a force, not some kind of ghost, But a person, the third person of the Trinity, came and dwelt within you. 
And that's a permanent thing. He sealed you. It's not like the Holy Spirit leaves you and comes back. The moment you're saved, he came permanently, forever, to dwell within you. That's what the Bible says. So he's there. So when they say that you need more of the Holy Spirit, what are they saying to you? That you need his head? You need his foot? You need his hand? What are they talking about? You need more of the Holy Spirit. You've got all the Holy Spirit the moment you were saved that you're ever going to get. He's a person. He dwells within you. So what do we need? It's not that we need more of him, but we need to allow him to have more of us. That's the issue. How do you do that? Well, when I was very young in my faith, the Lord taught me a great principle. I call it spiritual breathing. I didn't call it back then, but I learned that many people have found this great principle out as well. It's called spiritual breathing. You know, over in in John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of the righteousness? All. Cleanse us. Well, there was a time in my life when I was young in the faith and I was just not experiencing the power and the presence of God in my life. And I was talking to God. I was saying, God, you know, what, what's, the, what's the deal? And I was drinking a, a blueberry milkshake and I love them. I don't buy them anymore because every time I drink one, it takes me, you know, two weeks to get rid of the fat in my body. So I just, I don't do it. So I, but I love them. And I, I got this blueberry milkshake and I'm, Drinking down the good stuff. And then all of a sudden, a blueberry got caught in my straw. And I couldn't get the good stuff anymore. And I'm sitting there sucking on this, nothing. So I take the straw out and I <laughs> blow it out. I stick it back into that milkshake and I'm drinking that mix. I'm drinking the good stuff and then a, another blueberry gets stuck in the straw. I take it out and <laughs> blow it out. And as this is going on, the Lord speaks to me in my mind, kind of helping me understand. The reason why you're not really experiencing my presence and my power, the Holy Spirit hasn't left you, Ed. He dwells within you. The reason you're not experiencing him is because you have a lot of unconfessed sin. And that unconfessed sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And you block him. That sin blocks him. That unconfessed sin blocks him from having control in your life. It's like a roadblock. But if you remove that blueberry... You remove that robot, the Holy Spirit now will take over and you'll experience the power and the presence of myself again. So what did I do? I got on my knees and I prayed and I repented and I asked, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me. But then I didn't learn that I had to do that continuously. Because watch this. When it says that we need to walk in the Spirit, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How it's written in the Greek is this way. It's a continuous tense. In other words, it is is written in such a way that it is something that you have to do all the time, continuously. It's not a one and done deal. See, what I did, like we just did this, this, this morning, confess your sin. If that's all you do all week long, by Monday... You've got blueberries stuck in your straw. And you're wondering, like, why in the world am I taking so? It's, it's like you're rowing a boat. You're in the boat, people. You're saved. But you're rowing the boat. 
And it's exhausting on Monday. And it gets harder on Tuesday. And it gets harder on Thursday. And then finally you show up in church and all of a sudden, man, you, all of a sudden, boom, it goes. You walk out, you got a little bit more step. But by Monday, man, you're wrong. You know what? And the whole time you've got a motor in the back of the boat, if you'll just flip the switch, man, the motor will take you around. It's called the Holy Spirit. Whatever illustration you want to use, the blueberries or the motor, the deal is there's something that we've got to do every day. Allow the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. And one of the principles that allows that to happen is to confess your sin regularly. I call it spiritual breathing. Inhale, you don't bring the spirit out here, the spirit's in here. But you're saying, inhale, I'm allowing the spirit of God control. Exhale, sin. Get rid of sin. Inhale, control me, Holy Spirit. Exhale, sin. And when you go out through the day and something, God speaks to you, you say something you know, you watch something you know, you see something you know you're not supposed to do, you say, Lord, forgive me. I repent, I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me and fill me. Holy Spirit, that I will not fall back into that temptation and you get up one time more than you fall. A successful Christian, friend, is one who gets up one more time than he falls. He gets up, he counts on the Holy Spirit, he stops. Not, he, he has, or she has to continue to ask God to forgive you and ask him to fill you and take control of your life. And you will experience the supernatural and you'll be able to live the life of Christ out in your life. You don't do that and you're just rowing your boat. Rowing the boat. And that gets exhausting, doesn't it? You're like on a treadmill. Running, 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 going nowhere. Let him take control. God loves you. I'll tell you this. I've been traveling around the country preaching. And I'll tell you this, it's good to be home. It's good to be right here today, opening up the word of God to you. God loves you, and I pray that each and every one of you will continue to go to him, the Lord Jesus, who has promised you the Holy Spirit, and look to him to live out this Christian life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you that we have that opportunity today. And we don't want to miss the opportunity. We do ask you to forgive us for the times that we have not looked to you, Holy Spirit. We've tried to do what we're doing in life on our own. We tried to live out the Christian life in our own strength. And today we pray, we ask you, Spirit of God, do not be grieved any longer. Fill us with yourself right now. Cleanse us, forgive us, and help us to do it daily. In some cases, moment by moment that we'll become more and more like you, Jesus, and will fulfill your mission. For you said in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outer parts of the world. God, may that be true today and throughout this week. Until we meet again, in Jesus' name, amen.